doing now. This car toppled, building entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the defiant Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I, I can't think of anything clever to say to defiant. I'm sorry. You just threw it at me. I, I, I wasn't given any prep for this, folks. It's okay. It's, it's no different than normal weeks when you can't come up with anything good either. Oh, but dum bum Welcome back, folks. Uh, we'll be here all week. Don't forget to tip your waitresses. We are so glad you joined us again for the Fire and Water Podcast. Uh, we are going to cover – we're going to have a little fun this week. We're going to cover <laughs> something new and something old. Um, what is that? We need something borrowed and something blue, I think, also. Is that how that works? Something like that. <laughs> so, uh, but just to get a little – get your, we're going we're gonna to follow this format for a couple of weeks. We're gonna, next week, we're going to do something similar. Uh, we're gonna bar- we're gonna cover something new and something old next week as well as your listener feedback next week. So come back for that, so you can hear your own comments right on the show. But before we get rolling, 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 let's uh, let's do some uh, thank yous out to our sponsor. What do you say? Absolutely. All right, folks. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. What you got, Rob? Uh, I picked, uh, just apropos of nothing, The Essential Doctor Strange, Volume 4. Uh, this reprints uh, Doctor Strange numbers 30 through 56, Chamber of Chills number 4, and Man-Thing number 4. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole details of who wrote it and whatever the stories are, but let me just give you the list of the artists included in this book. Tom Sutton, Ricardo Villamonte, Alan Kupperberg, Rudy Nebrez, P. Craig Russell, Gene Colan, Dan Green, Walt Simonson, Al Milgram, Wendy Peeney, Frank Giacoya, Joe Rubenstein, Bob Wyacek, Tom Palmer, Kerry Campbell, Michael Golden, Marshall Rogers, Terry Austin, Paul Smith, Brent Anderson, Howard Chaikin, and Don Perlin. That is an amazing group what is of it? artists. Is there like just like a bunch of pinups or something in that thing? No, That's they crazy. all did it. Yeah, well, see, I find that uh, Doctor Strange and Aquaman have a lot in common. I think they occupy similar spaces in their respective universes where they've 
they've, I, I think they've, they've been the beneficiaries of some amazing creative runs, but just have never quite popped through compared to some of their other characters. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, and I feel, and I'm very happy to, to, to have heard, um, Dr. Strange mentioned in the last Captain America movie. I think that's great. So, like, I think he's officially part of Wave 3 of the movie. So, I am super jazzed because I always love Dr. Strange. Anyway, Essential Dr. Strange Volume 4 is 564 pages. Jeez. The cover is by Paul Smith. Uh, Inside Trade's price is, I think it's $11. I accidentally cut off that part of the price. It's $11.45. <laughs> anyway, it's a really good deal. It's 45% off. It's super, you know, it's tons of mystical arts fun. Plus you get Clea. You can't beat it. It's Central Doctor Strange Volume 4. That's fantastic. That's, I, I, I thought that was really obscure. I'm like, why Volume 4? But after hearing those artists, oh my gosh. It's that awesome. run. Yeah, I used to read Doctor Strange and th- those are the issues that th- this book collects those issues that I read. They, there was a really good run by Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin on the art. That was fantastic. So that's what's in here. I'll have to say this about Doctor Strange because I've never really got him personally but that's not a that's not a slam he's just has i haven't found my my way with him yet but everyone i know that's into dr strange has really interesting or eclectic sort of comic book tastes so i know a lot of our listeners are sort of eclectic like a lot of really different kind of off the wall stuff so it sounds like it'd be something a lot of our folks would uh, be into mm-hmm. so uh, I also picked a Marvel book, ironically. Mine's a l- probably a little more traditional, if you will. I picked Daredevil by Miller and Jansen, Volume 1 and 2. And I'm, I'm looking at this. I think this is the same trade paperback was originally uh, Daredevil Visionaries, Frank Miller. But either way, uh, this is covering, obviously, the amazing Frank Miller run on Daredevil that if you haven't read – and surprisingly, a lot of people haven't. They, they all know it, but haven't read it. You really should. I myself didn't read it till much later in my Daredevil years. I probably read it around, oh, I don't know, 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. And even though I've been reading Daredevil for 15 years or whatever at that point, I still fell in love with it all over again. This stuff's so good. It, it picks up early on when Frank Miller was just drawing it and uh, Roger McKenzie was writing it. You know, you get Jansen on the inking. You get a couple issues of Spectacular Spider-Man in here. You get all your Daredevils. You get, you know, your big issues with Bullseye and Elektra. You really got to pick these up. Uh, volume 1 goes for twenty nine ninety nine. It's uh, 336 pages, full color. You can get it in stock trades currently for 42% off, which is $17.39. That's that is a hell of a deal right there. And same thing on the next issue. Uh, same, same page count, same price, same everything. So go on out to in stock trades. Pick these up, and believe me, you will not be sorry. And at the very least, this is a great prep for the Netflix Daredevil series. You know, yeah. <laughs> get in early. So, all right, folks. Uh, thanks. Our thanks again to In Stock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty-five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. All right, I promised you something new, uh, something current that's on the stands, Rob. Why don't you tell the folks at home what we got this week? Yes, that is Aquaman and the Others, number two, uh, by Dan Jurgens, Lan Medina, and Alan Martinez, which just came out this week. Uh, Starting off, the cover. The cover is by the boys, Rice, Prado, and Reese. The cover is fantastic. Uh, First of all, it's a beautiful drawing. But one of the reasons I loved it is that something is happening. New 52 covers are really postery, really postery. Like I can, I really can't think of too many new 52 covers I've seen where there is an actual event transpiring. 
Um, and I, I love this. I love that it's actually putting our heroes in danger right on the cover. This reminds me of like a Marvel 70s cover. And to me, nobody did covers better than Marvel in the 1970s. Um, I, I, can, I, can I step in? I mean, I'm, I got a comment on the cover before you move on. This is one of my favorite covers that DC's had in years. Yep. Um, by the way, did you notice the cityscape in the background? I think that's photostatted. Yes, I believe it is, yeah. Ironic that just last week we talked about our old Firestorm comic with the same, right. same kind of concept. But my, my thing here is that the cover shows the characters in peril, and it's the kind of peril that you can imagine as a regular person. It's not like Doomsday is coming to beat them up. It's falling out of a burning airplane. Right. That's, that's something all of us at one point or another in your life have worried about. <laughs> you know, um, I did it with a parachute on one time. But, you know, the idea of falling out of the sky is something that scares everyone in in your real life so seeing characters that you like and you're you're following or whatever in that situation and such a it just it really it evokes something visceral in me and it's and part of it comes from the art obviously but just the the layout the the design the the, the terror that's happening oh it's really and the fact that none of them can fly as we'll get into in a minute it's um it's, oh God, it's a really, really great Yeah, cover. it's really, very sharp. Like I said, I wish New 52 would, would knock off so much of the postery covers uh, and do a little more, you know, story-centric things. But this, So this is really, really, really sharp. So anyway, we're off to a good start here. Um, after a one-page flashback with back of the with, – with young Atlan and the guy that we saw last issue, who cares? Uh, we get back to the main <laughs> – we get back to the main thing. Which is Legacy of Gold Part 2, as I said, by Jurgens Medina Martinez, uh, colorist to Matt Myla. And uh, we have a couple of pages of Aquaman and the others falling out of this plane, out of the operative's living room, which has been uh, hit by the missile. And I really – it's funny. It's like on the one hand, it undercuts the drama a little in that they're basically spending two pages squabbling with one another as they're falling. At the same time, I sort of like that, that they're just such – you know, like superheroes, that, that that this is really not that much of a scary state of affairs. You know, they have time to talk about this. You know, I mean, they're. I mean, at one point, uh, the operative is talking about should we maybe consider replacing Volstock on the team? And even you are is like, I think we have other things to worry about at this time. So I, you know, I th- like I said, it, it maybe they could have taken it a little more seriously, but I also enjoyed the sort of what the hell ishness to it. You know, like yeah, we're falling, but we'll, we'll be all right. And, of course, they're all right because uh, Sky Alcase uh, uses her powers to send the whole team into one of those little nether dimensions. So they land there. So they're safe and they watch the plane fall into the ocean. Uh, here we learn that uh, Sky has been communicating with Kahina, the ghost of Kahina, one of the other others who died previously. Uh, and we find out that this woman that we saw in the previous issue, who was visited by these weird guys with the omaki looking people, is her sister. And she's having similar visions that Kahina had. And we also see briefly that Vostok is also there in this ghostly dimension. We see him pondering his helmet kind of sadly there. So that's that's kind of a fun thing, that they're not necessarily gone um, those two members. So then anyway, there's a little bit of a discussion. Meanwhile, um, while, while they're talking about this, Aquaman goes and jumps into the, uh, um, jumps into the ocean and grabs his, or not grabs it, but he goes, and gets this Atlantean craft, the double dolphin, the double dolphin, yeah, the double dolphin. Exactly. Um, <laughs> they, jump, they all jump <laughs> just, in. A, just made a Bob Haney reference. that made you happy. Didn't yeah, it? it did. I enjoyed it. It took me a second. 
So um, uh, Aquaman says to Sky, well, I want to hear about what, uh, what Kahina said to you. Meanwhile, we cut back across to this castle where the bad guys are operating from, and we see um, Kahina's sister is here. Uh, she's a prisoner, although she's sort of just laying in the middle of this living room. It's not like she's in a cell or anything. She gets visited. Well, not visited. She's there, and then the, the sister of uh, Anton, who, again, I still say is Anton Arcane. I don't think we know that one way or the other yet. I don't um, think it is. Okay. Well, the, his, visit, his sister shows up coming back. She's sort of like a uh, socialite Paris Hilton type. She comes back after a day shopping, and we see that not only does she have superpowers, she's also horrendously cruel because she uses her powers to partly strangle uh, Kahina's sister and sort of treats her very, very poorly. And Anton shows up, and her name is Saya. I keep forgetting her name, Saya. Anton shows up and says, you know, basically we need her. She's no good to us dead, so stop knocking her around. Uh, she's very cruel, this woman. Uh, she's visited by – they go and they talk to their grandfather who is – Beaming in from somewhere. I don't think we know where he's beaming he's in a from. Go- he's a ghost. Well, he says on the – no, he says our grandfather on the intercom. Right. The, he's totally lying. I'm, I mean, at least I'm convinced that I think that this spirit – this voice is connected to the flashbacks from thousands of years ago. Oh, the, okay. This, this right. bad guy who, who hurt the guy in the last issue that they referred to in the beginning right. of this one, Atlan, I think that's the voice of Atlan. So I, I laughed out loud when Anton goes – she goes – who? Or she hears the voice. She goes, who? And he goes, our grandfather. On the intercom. On the intercom. <laughs> like, it's in another word balloon. It's like an afterthought. He's, he's totally lying. It's a ghost, I'm She's sure. She's not the brightest in the world, so I guess. Uh, well, what? What is that awe? I don't understand. You said she's not the brightest in the she's world. She's not. She's falling for that. Okay. All right. Whatever. So, uh, so see, now you throw me off, Shags. This is oh, my gosh. My God, we've got to get Bailey in here. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Aquaman and the others are in the Double Dolphin, and while, they're, while they are headed over to find Kahina, they lose power. The ship falls into the ocean. Aquaman and the, uh, the crew come out. They uh, get attacked by these rock creatures, which is sort of out of nowhere, but I enjoyed it. Um, and then uh, they, uh, the battle is interrupted by Anton and this woman, and they say, uh, "We are going to give you are going to give us everything that we want." And then we see in the background, Saya uh, hanging there with a knife to her throat, obviously in some sort of uh, hostage situation. So next, the sins of Atlantis. So that is Aquaman and the others number two. Um, I liked it more than I liked the first one. Uh, I said at the time that I was a little more critical of the first one. I think it's the first issue I expected something really huge and it really was. It was just the first part of the story. Um, I am enjoying this. Aquaman is not getting a whole lot to do or to, to say. He only says, I think, a couple of word balloons in the whole book. And when he does, they're very simple. It's like, well done. Yes. I want to know what Kahina... You know, it's, it's, he's not really being a whole much of a leader exactly. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, it's like we're only two issues in. We're going to get in. We'll, we'll, you know, it'll get. We'll get into it as it goes along. I do like all the interactions of everybody. I like that. Uh, I like Kahina's uncomfortableness with being in this dimension of the dead. I think that's kind of a nice angle to her. Um, I, you know, I would like to see. I don't know. I was about to say I'd like to see them getting along more, but I say that every time about every group of heroes, so that isn't necessarily true. And it is early on. I said they they are really not yet much of a team yet. It's going to be up to Aquaman to sort of make them co 
be more cohesive together as a group. So, but overall, I you know I liked it. It's a it's a fun installment. Um, Aquaman poses a little too much in it. There's a couple mm-hmm. of shots where Aquaman is just doing the Jim Lee posing. So I kind of wish uh, Lan Medina would ease up on that a little. <laughs> like every, it seems like every page Aquaman is like, "Look at me," you know. And like, all right, just you can just stand there. It's fine. Um, he is a bit dramatic. He's a bit dramatic. He but, seems to have his gloves. It, it almost looks like there's some sort of like razor weapon on his glove. Yeah, I think that's for the uh, fractal tech gear that he's rocking. Um, but, uh, no, it's good. It's good. It's, it's, uh, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying it. I, I enjoyed this issue quite a bit. I liked the globe trotting. You know, I like that, you know, it, it gives it a more epic feel when there's a lot of different stuff. I and mean, there's a lot of different environments in this one. You get, you get there, you know, floating in the air, you get them in the nether region, you get them underwater, you get them, you know, fighting the rock people back on land. So, I mean, I like – it's almost like when you watch a Star Wars movie. You expect three different environments, you know. Right. Uh, you get lots of environments here. That makes me happy. The only – well, I, I do have a criticism. I will, I will say it now, but I'm going to come back to a lot of other good stuff too. I did kind of get the feeling like they were globetrotting, but they didn't necessarily explain to the reader enough of why they were going places. Like they were debating whether they were going to try and go save the sister – um, Saya, Saya, whether they're going to try and go save Saya, the sister, um, from Tehran, or they're going to try and find the person who shot the missile at the plane. And it almost seems like they vacillate back and forth about which one they're going to do throughout the issue because they're like, no, we have to do this. No, let's do this. But it's like, well, wait a minute. You just traveled halfway across the world. You should be pretty much committed to one action or the other by this point if you're going to do that kind of travel. I don't know. That's the only thing I felt a little lost on. And maybe I just didn't pick up on it. Maybe I read it too fast. But it just felt like it was a little... That piece didn't connect real well. Um, I, I I don't know why. I kind of like the sister and brother, Anton and uh, Dar- Darya. I kind of like weird, twisted, sadistic brother-sister teams. Good to know. Remi- What's that? Well, no, I mean, there was that team that used to fight the X-Men. I can't remember their names. Um, it was a brother and sister twe- team. They were really twisted. Anyway, I always kind of like that model. So I'm interested to see where this goes. And, of course, I have to say it because, you know, I'm irredeemable. Uh, Darya's hot. She's sick and twisted, but she's hot. I mean, straight up. And, um, you know, the you mentioned that he's got the knife to her throat uh, at the end. Yes. Well, that was her vision. Um, Saya actually had that vision about halfway through the book. She had the vision right. of her being held with the knife to her throat. So, you know, she saw the future and it happened. So clearly her powers that she got shortly after her sister died are coming through without a doubt. And all of this is a ruse on their part to get their hands on the gold. That's why I think it's connected to Atlan, the guy, the oh, evil Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing that kind of confused me on the first page, because now I'm going to start, I'm, now I'm going to go a little more linear. I'm going to talk from the beginning. Um, the old man talks about Atlan did this to him, Atlan himself. But then his kid is named Atlan as well. There are two Atlans in, the, in this story, I think, yes. if I'm reading this right. So I wonder if... This is their way of backpedaling Aquaman being related to the bad Atlan. Because remember uh, in Jeff Johns' run, or maybe it was Jeff Parker's run, someone, I think it was Jeff Johns. No, it was Jeff Johns, yeah. Where we found out Aquaman is descended from the evil Atlan. The evil Atlan, yeah. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's descended from the nice Atlan. <laughs> Just a thought. All right, so fa- flying, out of the, flying out of the plane, I think it's hilarious that the poor giant panther's fly, flailing through the air. Uh, you know, the humans is one thing, but the Panthers got to be like, what the hell is going on? Right. And I think it's, uh, 
the operative's son, uh, grandson, which I think is my favorite, just because he's so snarky. He's the one that starts the whole discussion with it. Goes HR needs to do it, or, or says none of you can fly. You mean HR needs to do a better job of staffing? Yes. I mean th- that just cracks me up. And if that's his only job on the team is to be funny, I'm I think I'm okay with that. So uh, you didn't. You should have mentioned operative blows up his plane. He you know, does. All yes. The context. Yes. He's, and I like later on when uh, Sky is in the other dimension talking to. What's uh, Kahina? Kahina. Kahina. She comes back, and they've obviously been waiting a while because Yawera is, like, playing in the water. It's like – it's. I assume the artist put that in there, not Jan Jurgens. But it's just a fun little nod that Kahina's just – I'm mean, sorry, Yawera is just playing with the water. Oh, yeah, she's kick, kicking it. Yeah, and then her yeah. panther is sitting next to her. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That is a nice little detail. It's a little fun detail. Now, Vostok – the helmet got left in the nether regions or whatever the, the, that other world's called. I wonder if that's a bad thing. Like, is that supposed to symbolize that maybe Vostok's going to come back as a ghost? Mm. Or is the helmet just lost and forgotten? It actually took me a while to figure out that was Vostok. I actually thought it was Val, um, Vandal Savage. So. <laughs> no, Sorry. yeah, no, I figured I once Kahina came back, I'm like, oh, okay, now these people can come back. And so, okay. Yeah, I totally should have put that together myself. So, I like that we got to hear more about Man of War. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Uh, I like that, uh, you know, that he's actually sort of keeping the souls from moving on. It's almost like it's his fault. That was kind of sad, but neat. Let's see what else. Now, I have I have a thought for you. Is it possible that Aquaman's not going to be the team leader? I, mean, I realize the book is called Aquaman and the Others, but that's because he's the marquee character. Doesn't mean he has to be the leader, though. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I think he has to be. I mean, okay. really. I, mean, I just uh, was postulating it, putting it out there for consideration. Yeah. I mean, he'll. I I could see them doing more issues with him without him, where he's in it even less, and that means somebody else is going to have to take over. Uh, I don't know who that would be because nobody seems to like the operative. He seems like kind of a <laughs> dick, and Yawar is too hot tempered, and Prisoner of War is too mopey. So I don't know who really you would have take over. But I, I, you know, I could see somebody filling that role because, like I said, Aquaman. You know, their Jurgens might want to give himself some some room to play and you could have something where Aquaman's like, Hey, I'm off with the justice league and, or whatever. Well, he's never with the justice league anymore, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I follow you. Yeah. He's off doing something else. And then, um, I wonder if this is going to be an ongoing shtick where the others are very, very hard on their transportation because so far they've lost a plane and now they've lost like a little mini sub, the double dolphin. Uh, so it's just, you know, that could become a shtick where every, every issue they wreck some, tra- you know, trans, transport device. I look forward to the Double Dolphin being part of the Aquaman and the Others line of toys from DC Direct. That's going right, to be well, absolutely. absolutely. Fantastic. I wonder how they're going to do all the ghosts for Man of War. Maybe it'll be like that Professor Stein translucent head. There you go. Perfect. So I really enjoyed the issue in all. I, I think it's a lot of fun. I'm happy with the direction. I hope the, the readers at home are, are enjoying it too. I hope it's not just us. I hope that you know other people are trying this book and being like, hey, here is a adventurous superhero book that's not steeped in a crap ton of continuity. It's not steeped in a crap ton of crossovers. That is nice. That is it, I should have thought, I should have pointed that out. That is one of the things I do like about it. That it it is its own thing at the moment. Yeah. It's 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 a sort of a fresh you want a superhero action team that you don't have to read seven books for? This is the one. So, yeah. I don't, you don't you don't even have to read Aquaman's main book for this, I don't think. No. No. No, no you don't. Yeah, that, that that is nice. That is really nice. Yep. So, good Good on, good on everybody. I like the art. I like the writing. Looking forward to issue number three. Absolutely. Nice job, Dan Jurgens. Woo! 
All right. All right. Um, oh, you know what we forgot to talk about? We totally should have. Did you see uh, it hit the net just this week, the new extended trailer for Gotham? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh-oh, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I just can't. I, I hear that Patton Oswalt routine in my head every time I think of Gotham. That's all. I just That's all that I can hear. I don't know what that is. I'm going to have to listen to that. It's I know who Van Aldwell is. It's a whole bit about Star Wars where he talks about, you know, meeting George Lucas. And he would he would build a time machine and go back and kill George Lucas before he made the prequels. Oh, is this the filibuster he used in community? No, uh, no, 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 no. This is, no, no, no. This is a whole different thing because it's basically like, you know, George Lucas talking to a young Patton, o- Patton Oswalt and he's like, you know, you want to see the prequels? He's like, yeah, I'd love to see. And he's like, Darth, do you like Darth Vader? Yeah, I love Darth Vader. Well, he's going to be in it. Is he's going to be awesome? Is he going to? Is he? Yeah, he's going to be a little kid. Really? <laughs> he doesn't have like the laser sword, or I just want to see him choking people and stuff. No, no, he's a little kid and he's very sad. And I'm like, that's kind of what it's what the Gotham <laughs> looks like to me. It's like Bruce Wayne as a boy, and he's a little sad. Like I don't know, like. Why do I want to see Gotham City without Batman? That's, you know, I don't understand. <laughs> well, I I was excited thinking it was more like Gotham Central, uh, but with uh, with Gordon, you know, as a young cop. Right. I didn't know there was going to be so much Batman in it. Yeah. I thought it was going to be, what? Yeah, there's going to be Kid Catwoman, and then there's going to be Penguin, and <laughs> Riddler, Kid Cat- and... Kid- no, you, you got to do it right. Kid, Kid Catwoman, uh, Riddler Lad. Um, well, that's the well, thing. The Riddler and Penguin are like adults. They're they're which is another. They're teenagers. No, they're adults. They're not teenagers. Nah, Penguin kid. Uh, kid. I'm trying to think of all the Legion of Superheroes. I will certainly give it a shot when it comes when it comes out. But I, I just I, I I'm just trying to picture why do I want to see anything about Gotham City without Batman in it? I don't understand. I tell you, Gordon needs a mustache. I'm just saying. The, the dude needs to grow a mustache. That actor is the only actor to have played both Batman and Commissioner Gordon. He was the voice of Batman in one of those animated movies. How bizarre. And now he's playing Commissioner Gordon. What a weird little fact you shared. Thank you. Uh, I enjoyed it. Folks, if you haven't seen it yet, go out and Google the Gotham trailer. I think it looks really good. You know, And this is coming from a guy who's on the fence about Arrow. You know, This one looks pretty cool to me. I hope the Batman elements aren't in your face every week. I don't, I don't want to see a lot about <laughs> Riddler, Penguin, and all that crap. I want to see Gordon solving horrific, you know, depressing crimes in Gotham, you know? CSI, Gotham City. Have you ever read Gotham Central? Yes, that's a good book. It's a great book. All right. We should shut up and go to break. Yep, absolutely. Uh, We're going to play, and related to what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show, we're going to play some clips from the various... Uh, live-action versions of The Flash. There's been more than you might think, so enjoy these. And when, you come, when we come back, we will talk about the Firestorm in the back of The Flash. Oh, oh, are we really? 1978, you believed a man could fly. 1989, the Dark Knight was reborn. Now, lightning strikes again. This fall on CBS, get ready for The Flash. Uh, I'm really just a regular guy, I guess. Uh, you know, I like uh, bowling, football, watching the tube. Well, I really like the bowling. Uh, guess I haven't figured out those life and career decisions yet. Uh, but uh, why rush it? <laughs> I 
Good work, Flash. Thanks. Who do we save next? Storm's over. We're done rescuing people for the day. What was that all about? I don't know, but you think that weatherman's for real? Nobody can manipulate the weather. It's impossible. No. Finding a job is impossible. Still no luck? None. And I just lost my apartment. God knows where I'm going to stay tonight. Oh, would you look at the time? You know, how long do you think somebody can listen to that tomorrow before they fall asleep? Uh, listen, maybe they haven't picked the entire fruit basket. Phoebe! What? Oh, I'll, uh, I'll do it on the way. Maybe I still got a student or two left. Uh, maybe I'm hitting the one as again. Because I guess you must be, because this is my room. Technically, it's my dad's, since you use his credit cards to pay for it. I didn't take anything from anybody. Nick saved the innocent act. I had a friend trace all the charges you're trying to stick on him after you stole his wallet. <laughs> and you went through my backpack. Man, that's an invasion of privacy messing with my stuff. Your stuff? You stole all this. Yeah. Prove it. I saw you save my dad from that truck this morning. And nobody sees me when I'm doing my thing. Maybe you're not the only one who can move like that. Jay Garrick, Barry Allen, Wally West, whatever your name really is. It's Bart. Not that that matters, because I'll be a thousand miles away before you can even blink. I don't know, I can blink pretty fast. Who are you, man? Get my dad's wallet, then you and I are gonna sit down for a long talk. I'm picking the chit chat, dude. Smile later. Man, I missed the Flash TV show. It was a lot of fun. Yes, we used to we used to watch it uh, every week at the it was on when we were at the Cubert School and we all watched it together and uh, I remember there was one episode where they mentioned Hawkman on the show they mentioned Carter uh, Hall uh, not uh, Hawkman Carter Hall but we were and we had Joe the next day and we were all excited to tell Joe that his character had been mentioned on the show because he didn't watch the show and he was like oh, oh wow. really and he were like Joe your your character you know and he couldn't have really cared less. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when the Trickster episode hit. Like, oh, that's that good was stuff. a big friggin' deal. Like everyone lost their mind. So they, it was um, exciting. They packaged the two Trickster episodes together as a movie and released it in Europe, and it was like a big hit. <laughs> what? Yeah, like a TV movie or a TV a movie that a theater? movie a theater movie. That's like when they released Battlestar Galactica in Canada in the yeah. theaters, and it was Crazy. put out. It was put out on uh, VHS as a movie. Like the, the, I mean, it was basically just two episodes. The two episodes smooshed together, but they edited right. it to make it look like it was just one long movie. And uh, we used to run when I worked at the video store. We used to run it all the time because those were like my favorite episodes of the show, were the trickster ones. And it was nice having them both together like that. How interesting! And of course, they did Harley Quinn before Batman the Animated Series did Harley Quinn. Really? They trickster had a a, a girl sidekick prank. Oh oh oh! oh basically, Harley Quinn before sure. Harley Quinn. Gotcha. That's cool. It's been a long time since I've watched Good it. Good show. But I, I loved it when it was on. Oh. All right, folks. Uh, we are going to do, as I said, something new and something old. And the old, as Rob told you as we are going in, we are covering the backup stories for Firestorm that appeared in Flash. 
Now, folks, as we get into this, we're not going to cover a lot. We're just going to cover two of them today. Rob and I have been talking. We think this may become sort of a reoccurring segment on the show where we cover just a couple of backup stories in Aquaman and Firestorm's history. And my challenge to you guys at home is to help us come up with a name for this segment. Like, right now, it's pretty weak. But I, all I've come up with for is when you get knocked down, you get back up. Get it? Back up? It's playing words. Yeah, please, some, someone come up with something better, please. Yeah, that, that's not very good at all. That's at all. So I need some help. Give us, a, give us a clever name, a segment to help us when we cover our, the backup stories. So, jumping into this, we are going to cover the Firestorm backup from Flash, number 289, which uh, cover dated September 1980, actually hit the stands, so set your Wayback Machine, to June 10th, 1980. Uh, and uh, also, we're going to cover Flash 290. And it'll make sense when we get there. The, next, the following issue, which came out October 19, uh, was cover dated October 1980, and actually at the stands on July 7th, 1980. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Com- uh, Comics for those dates. Um, so what we've got here is it's a two-part story. They're eight pages each. Of, it's basically Firestorm retelling his origin. So that's what we're going to cover today. Uh, again, later on we'll cover another segment where we talk about uh, subsequent backups. But for this time, we're just going to focus on this. So if you know Firestorm's origin... Um, a lot of the topic's going to be a no-brainer, but definitely hang around because there's some interesting stuff going on here in this thing. To sort of set the time frame of when this story took place, you had your five issues of the original Firestorm series, and it was canceled. He came back. He appeared in DC Comics Presents, which we covered in an episode where we teamed up with Michael Bailey of Usual Longbox. Uh, one issue of DC Comics Presents. Then he showed up in Justice League number 179 and 180 with that awesome Jim Starlin cover. Where Superman's got pulls some super dickery, yep. and, he, and he's like, "Firestorm's joining the team. Anybody got a problem with that? Take my fist." You know, basically what he says. I think you added that last part. I think I may have. Anyway, that's it. That is all Firestorm had appeared in before he got this backup. So really, he had a failed series. Well, he and was then in the it, other issues of JLA. But this came out before those. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. So you had again Firestorm, his five issue series, it quote unquote failed. Then he, you know, DC Comics presents two issues of JLA, and suddenly he gets a backup. You know, there's no way they could have got like a bunch of email or not email. That wow, been, yeah. It would have been interesting if they got email. Uh, a bunch of mail saying how popular the character was. There was no groundswell for this. This had to clearly be Jerry Conway saying, "Look, I've got a story to tell, and I think I can make this happen." And they gave him, you know, the 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 width to do it. Because, all right, so I said JLA one seventy nine one eighty. This particular backup appeared the same month as JLA one eighty two. So just Three months later, which is amazing that, again, that Firestorm got this. Now, here's another amazing thing on this. Uh, I, you've read this, Rob. Now, I assume you noticed uh, who the artist on this book is? Yeah. On these, yeah. George Perez and Romeo Tangle. Not bad at no, all, folks. not at all. In fact, this is George Perez's very first published work for DC Comics. Is it really? This is it. Not just among his first. This is his first right here. Wow. First work for DC. He had just left Marvel, uh, did this, and within two months he was on the JLA book. That's right. So really, I've talked to him about it before. When I meet him at cons and stuff like that, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, about Firestorm being his first DC work. And it's, he, he still remembers it, has a fondness for the character still to this day. So, all right, well, let's jump into it, folks. Again, eight-page story, so this isn't going to take long. Writer Jerry Conway, uh, artist team, as, as we said, George Perez and Romeo Tungal, at least on this first one. Colorist, Gene D'Angelo. Letter, Ben Oda. Editor, Len Wein. So it starts off with Firestorm flying around New York City 
uh, specifically in Queens. He is so excited. There's this wonderful half splash of firestorm zipping up into the air going, look out, New York, firestorm is back in town. So he's zipping around, talking with Professor Stein just about how excited he is because he's been inducted into the Justice League. He is totally over the moon. Meanwhile, while this is going on, there is some late-night uh, boatery going on in, in a lake or a bay down beneath them. And there is a powerboat uh, that is out of control and is about to smash into a, a sailboat. Well, Firestorm intercedes. He creates this really interesting water spout, basically like a, a water bridge, if you will, over the sailboat, which the powerboat then rides the water bridge over the sailboat and makes its way away so that the sailboat doesn't get harmed. There's some funny bits, though, where, where the water bridge sort of falls down and rains on the girl in the sailboat, which is kind of funny because she's hot, you know. And what is she doing out in the middle of the night sailing a boat? I have no idea. Yeah, a lot of frequently hot girls are sailing the Hudson at night. At By themselves. The time. By themselves. Yeah. themselves. You know, well, I mean, you live up there, you know. So the boat is still out of control, and what you find out is it's like a crazy teenage kid who's probably taken his dad's boat out and doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to drive it. So Firestorm stops the boat, sends a flare up, which apparently notifies the harbor patrol to come out and pick up the kid. And then Firestorm goes and uh, separates into his composite parts with Professor Stein and, Mar- and Ronnie Raymond. You know, Ronnie's thinking that they're done for the night and Ronnie's going to go home. Well, as they split in the alley, Professor Stein is completely distraught. He's talking. To, he's he's in mid sentence, ordering another beer because that must have been where he was when the firestorm was formed. He realized he's had what he perceives to be another one of these blackouts. And at this point, that's because Professor Stein doesn't remember being firestorm. When he's firestorm, it's Professor Stein's subconscious that's talking to, to Ronnie Raymond. When they split, Stein has no memory of it whatsoever. He just thinks he blacks out. And this is why he lost his job. This is why he's lost his friends. This is why he's turned to to booze. He's become a, his, his life has fallen apart because of this. Now, up until this point, in all the previous appearances, which I guess really is what, five issues of Firestorm, uh, two of Justice League, and a DC. So the last eight appearances of Firestorm, Ronnie has been a complete d bag and let the professor think that he's just blacking out. He just let it be. Totally wrong headed. This time, Ronnie feels guilty enough. He can't let the professor go on this way, so he pulls the professor aside and says, "Look, I can explain. Let, let's go talk." And so they, they sit down and have a chat up in Professor Stein's apartment. And this is where the flashback starts. You get a flashback, essentially, of, of Firestorm number one. You see Ronnie starting school, starting the new school at Bradley High. He's trying to make friends. He immediately uh, goes, you know, fight, meets Doreen Day, which is forever his shame, and then goes you know, face-to-face with Cliff Carmichael, who's a complete jerk to him. And Ronnie wants to impress Doreen, so he decides to sign up for this um, sort of liberal group called the Coalition to Protest Atomic Power, which the acronym for that is CRAP, by the way. Uh, you can tell where uh, <laughs> Jerry Conway's leanings were. So Ronnie signs up with this group. He meets uh, Earhart, uh, Eddie Earhart, and they go to break into – this is part of their ways to demonstrate you know, that nuclear power is bad. They're going to break into the Hudson nuclear plant. So they break in. Ronnie's like, hey, wait a minute. What's going on? What are we doing here? And uh, Eddie knocks him out as he says they're going to blow the nuclear power plant sky high, and Ronnie's going to be the patsy. So they knock out Ronnie. They knock out Professor Stein, who happens to be there late at night working on it. They set up more dynamite than a Wile E. Coyote movie ha- cartoon has, and it's right next to the nuclear pile and blows up good. When it blows up, Ronnie and the professor are right next to it. Ronnie has woken up. He's like, oh, no, it looks like it's going to gothoom. And that is the end of part one. 
Uh, I'm going to go ahead and recap part two real quick, and then we'll get to our commentary on it. Part two is called The Secret History of the Nuclear Man. Now, a little bit of change up here. You've still got Jerry Conway writing it. However, the art team is now George Perez and Bob Smith. Uh, the letter has also changed. It's now Shelley Lefferman. Uh, Jerry Serpy is the colorist, and Lynn Wien's the editor. And I have to say, I know I'm supposed to do commentary later, but the art is poorer for the change. So, which yeah. is that? There's a distinct difference. So, Ronnie's still continuing to talk to Professor Stein. He's explaining about Firestorm. Um, then there's a neat little scene where Ronnie just makes Professor Stein a cup of coffee while he's talking about this stuff. He's sort of recapping what we saw in the last, re- you know, it. We're getting a recap of a flashback is what we're getting here for a page, which which works fine because instead of seeing the recap, you're seeing Professor Stein and Ronnie talking again. You get to see the coffee being made. It's, I, I really like the way that page is designed. So anyway, we get back into it. The, the explosion, you know, we're still in the flashback. The explosion happens at the power plant. Ronnie and Professor m- sort of melt together like two stereo images coming into focus. Rounded and corners. That's, what's that? Rounded corners. Oh, it is rounded corners. Look at that. Actually, I have to say that panel is really good. Um, the one where they're coming into stereo focus, it's, it's really nicely done. It's, it's even better than the original drawn by Al Milgram. It's really a well-done panel. Anyway, you get Firestorm merged, and he is Nicodus Jaybird. And he's got his big flaming head, and he's talking about all the powers. He's, starting to, he's able to sort of instinctively use his powers. He's fixing certain things around the place, and then eventually he realizes, whoops, he's naked. So he makes his superhero suit. They don't really spend any more time on Firestorm number one. You know, they just mentioned that he caught Eddie Earhart. And they move on from that. You know, then you, you see like a, a one-panel recap. You see a multiplex and Killer Frost and Hyena. You see the professor and Ronnie still talking. Ronnie's explaining that, you know, this is why you're having all your blackout spells. He started drinking. He talks about them joining the Justice League. And then Professor Stein um, busts out laughing. He's laughing his ass off because he thinks he's still drunk. He thinks he's having a, a, a delusion. He thinks all this is crazy. And he thinks Ronnie's just a bad dream. So Ronnie loses his temper. And he goes, you'll get proof, and they merge into Firestorm. And this is where it gets interesting. Professor Stein, as usual, is yelling at Ronnie, because he always seems to whenever they form Firestorm. He's like, Ronald, what's the meaning of this? I love how he's always angry at him. Anyway, um, so Ronnie is now having a discussion with, even though he was just talking to Professor Stein face-to-face, now he's having a discussion with Ronnie, or Professor Stein's subconscious. So it's almost like he's talking to two different people. Because they really are completely different intellectual entities. So he's talking to the subconscious. The subconscious is trying to explain where Professor Stein's coming from now, the, the conscious part of him. You see a nice silhouette image of Firestorm sort of doing the thinker. He's thinking about what to do. And ultimately, they decide to take photos of the transformation. And this will be proof positive, Professor Stein, that they're actually formed to fo- together to form Firestorm. They, he creates a camera out of a TV antenna. They you know, takes pictures of the transformation, shows it to Professor Stein. Professor Stein realizes he wasn't having a nervous breakdown after all. And Ronnie says, it looks like we both found a friend. So that is the end of that. So, Rob, what do you think of this? Uh, these little eight-pagers? Well, I mean, they're a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, have, again, having George Perez do the artwork is a great way to start, no doubt. And having Jerry be the one who's writing them, because he's, of, of anybody, he's going to have the greatest understanding of the character is good, too. Um... Yeah, they 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 were good. I mean, uh, Perez. You mentioned the thing with the coffee. Like Perez, excelled at having his characters when they are not engaging in fisticuffs, doing some recognizable human action, mm-hmm. and that is something that a lot of comic book artists don't do. Didn't bother. You know, they always have them just posing 
standing there. But no, uh, Perez had people making coffee, had people eating, had people, you know, doing things that we do as you talk. People frequently, when you have conversations with people, you're doing something else. You're not just standing there with your hands on your hips talking. Mm-hmm. You're doing something else. So Perez always was really good at that, and so that's a nice thing to to see here. Um, I get the sense that he was doing not really so much pencils as like breakdowns, which is a very looser form because you could see in the second segment, Bob, there's very little Perez here um, in the finished product other than in the layouts. You can, to me, you can immediately tell the per- the layouts are by Perez, but the finished art looks very heavily Bob Smith. And uh, as you said, I don't think it was a great trade off compared to Romeo Tango, but um, you know, what the hell? I, I would, I don't know. I guess I feel I feel like that definitely that first page, you know, is is not good. It's really not good. You can de- it's barely Perez. You're right. But the subsequent pages, I feel like you can see Perez leaking through. Like the shot of Ronnie actually making the coffee. You see the shadows on his face, mm-hmm. and you see the the way his hair is. And yeah, his, I mean, yeah. that's that's a Perez Ronnie Raymond, you know, to me. So I don't know. I feel like it's sort of like almost. I don't even know. If Bob Smith inked all of these. It's almost like he got different inkers per every couple pages. It seems like. You never know. It's it's possible. Um, yeah. One of the things you mentioned earlier about the, uh, the you know, w- uh, where these strips came from, because there obviously couldn't have been much of a fan groundswell at this point. I mean, part of it had to be the vacuum that was created by the fact that DC was raising its prices at the time, and they wanted to give everybody more bang for their buck. So all mm. all of a sudden, most of the line got backup features that hadn't had it before. So all of a sudden, if you know you're publishing a line of comics and you're adding twenty backup features to all your titles, well, you got to come up with twenty more characters to fill those slots. And so it might have been like, well, Firestorm can't sell his own book, but he might be work. He might work just fine as a backup strip. So mm. you know, I think that had something to do with it because DC at the time ran those big ads saying. They had like a little – they had all the characters in like a little stamp and it was mm-hmm. like explaining where all these characters were going to be appearing. And it was, oh, that's like, cool. it was like OMAC is going to be in the back of Warlord and Jarrell is going to be in the back of Action Comics or whatever. Or Aquaman is going to be in the back of Action Comics actually. Um, so I remember that. I remember those ads. So I think that might have been – had something to do with it that it's like, well, you know, we have space here. What character isn't being served? Well – Here's Firestorm. Here's Firestorm, who's the creation of one of our top-tier creators, who, who obviously felt he had more to do with the character. And he happens to be in Justice League, which is a great sales pit, sales tool for the character. So it makes sense that Firestorm would be one of the ones picked to give a, to, to get a backup strip. So Yeah, it makes sense. It does. It. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned about the page size, because Firestorm number one, the original Firestorm number one that came out a year or so, Two before this was only 18 pages <laughs> you know they were barely i mean it's shorter than a modern comic you know and here obviously you know the, like you said they were trying to give people their value so it's just kind of interesting that they would change that so and it makes um, sense that in the first in these first two stories I mean, it's basically just reiterating who firestorm is in the setup which make again makes sense because conway is probably introducing new fans of this character so it's like okay let's just go over this here's the origin here's their relationship Here's what Firestorm does. Here's some supporting characters. And then there's the tag for the next issue, which is going to feature the the hyena. But he doesn't get into all that yet. It's all just, just rehashing everything. Again, for all these people who didn't know who Firestorm was at the time. Yeah, it's, it's a very useful tool for the Justice League readers, too. Yeah. Because, you know, you want to learn more about the character, the new character in the Justice League, read it in, you know, in the pages of Flash. So, 
Um, starting off from the beginning, just, I love all the detailed backgrounds that Perez put. I mean, he drew the entire New York City in the background. Yeah. Really a lot of detail. It's a beautiful page. I mean, for being Perez's very first page of DC, it's a really, really nice one. So, well done. You know, we um, the page with the boat chase, it's just so fun and whimsical. There's a lot of, you know, nuclear or atomic symbols, you know, through there through for just, you know, mm-hmm. cute trade dressing. You know, again, the hot girl getting rained on and all that. I, I really like these two pages. It's a lot of fun. It makes me very happy. It's sort of nostalgic for fun old comics. Interesting that um, Professor Stein, like, that, that scene in the alley, there's all kinds of shadows going on. You, you legitimately feel pity for Professor Stein. You feel like, oh, my gosh, this man is a total wreck, and it's all Firestorm's fault. And then, you know, again, a lot of use of shadows and coloring, and it just, I really thought that was effective. And it's nice to see that Ronnie's, you know, again, after being eight issues of a D-bag, uh, trying to help Professor Stein get his life back on course, which is pretty good. The recap is done nice. It's nice to see Perez drawing some of you know the same stuff that Milgram drew. So, but it's nice to see Perez's version of it. He's able to do in six pages what it took Al eighteen pages. So there you go. Now, one thing that's new here is Doreen is walking off with Cliff Carmichael arm in arm. Now, Cliff often referred to Doreen as his girl, but I don't. You know, I'm sure Robert Gross is going to yell at me because he remembers this stuff a lot better than I do. I don't remember if Doreen and Cliff were actually dating. Or he just had an infatuation with her. I think he was just infatuated with her, and it sort of like called her, like that's his girl because you know whatever. And <laughs> even though she hadn't had no interest in it, that's how I always perceived it. But here it makes it almost look like they're actually a couple. So I don't know if that's accurate or not. De- definitely didn't appear that way originally. And Eddie Earhart, the more I see him, the more ridiculous I think he is. He's got you know the he's got the the white man afro with a little tiny beard. And, land, and mutton, uh, no, mutton, mutton chops, I'm sorry. Mutton chops. He's got the big gold necklaces and the button-down shirt. He looks 70s ridiculous off the set of Welcome Back, Cotter. And he never appeared again. Not once. Now, mm. someone again, someone else will probably write in and go, no, he was in number 72 as a background, whatever. I don't remember Eddie ever showing up again. And that would have been an interesting character, considering he is the reason Firestorm exists. You know, in some way, shape, or form. Even if it's just... Ronnie facing him for doing whatever it's done to his life. You know, I don't know, something. Not him as, like, a, a mastermind bad guy. You know, it could be just a sad story of this guy in prison and Ronnie faces him, whatever. But I'm just surprised they never did anything with that. Um, the conscious versus subconscious thing. I mean, we, you and I touched on that, like, a week or two ago when we talked about an old Firestorm issue. I, that's fascinating to see the two different, you know, psychological factors of Professor Stein. You know, the... The conscious and the subconscious versions being completely different mm-hmm. really makes for some interesting psychology study. My stepson happened to walk in while I was looking at this page, and it's it's the one where you know fire, Ronnie says you'll get your proof, and they turn into Firestorm. There's a, there's a weird sort of upshot of Professor Stein where he's like all chin, and <laughs> my stepson was like, "What is going on there? What's the professor doing?" <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he looks pretty angry. He's like, he's like, yeah. He just thought that was a hilarious shot. And the more I look at it, the more I like, I love it now. <laughs> it's all chin in your face, baby. Look at that. Nice. Nice. And it's really also, hard to draw all those buildings like that. It's a fisheye lens sort of effect going really on That is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. He did a really nice job with it. And then I love the shot, the, the silhouette, the white silhouette, reverse silhouette. That's a nice it. panel. That's a very with nice Ronnie panel. thinking. Yeah. 
And we will see that sort of pose with Firestorm a lot in these early years of him sitting there doing sort of the thinker thinking. In fact, we saw it in Firestorm number two, I think, Fury of Firestorm number two with Pat Brachicard. So, um, and I love the fact that you get to see the old, like, you know, TV antenna from the 80s. Absolutely love that. <laughs> how, how things have changed. Kids today would be like, what's that? Firestorm really just could have borrowed one of Peter Parker's cameras that he had stationed all around New York for taking pictures of Spider-Man in action. That's true. Now, my question is, too, you know, in 1980, you know, Firestorm took these pictures. Where did he get them developed at 11 o'clock at night? He used his atomic restructuring power to make the pictures. Then why didn't he make the camera a Polaroid? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> anyway, lots of fun. These backups are great. The JLA has a lab up in the satellite. That's got to be what it is. So that's where Firestorm. That's what he did with his brand new JLA access. Yeah. He went and used their photo lab, their the, one hour photo they, they lab. Went their dark room. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, they have that equipment, for God's sakes. What's he, right. he can't get these developed at a friggin' uh, photo mart. I mean, it's got his secret identity revealed in the pictures. I can see him. He's like, Dinah. Which which chemical goes in the first tray? Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Oh crap! I opened the door. Yeah, yeah. He's got the red bulb on. Don't don't right. come in. I love Ralph. Don't come in here. <laughs> Wait, who's in there? Ollie, Dinah, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so anyway, I love the backups. I love that. You know, I I heard Marty Pascal talking one time about writers nowadays have lost the art of writing a story in eight pages. Right. Now, we didn't see it as much here because it's a two-parter and it's a retelling of a previous story, but we'll get into it as we do more of these. When you get knocked down, you get back up segments. Man, we really need to work on it, guys. Yep. Anyway, as we do more of these eight-page segments or whatever you want to call them, you really get a sense for what it takes to write a short story. It's actually, you know, according to Marty, harder to write a short story than a long-form story. And so it's interesting to see who can do it and who can't. So, and as we look at more of these Firestorm ones, you know, the art teams, you know, we, here we got George Perez, not too shabby. We're going to see some Jim Starlin. We'll see Dennis Cohen. We'll see Pat Broderick. I mean, that's quite a pedigree for backup stories. So, now, yeah. yeah. What, well, part of what this discussion is too is we're not we're not only just going to cover Firestorm backups. Eventually, we're going to do some Aquaman backups. Eventually, as in next week. <laughs> what? Um, give us a little preview. What, what kind of? What can we look forward to? Well, Aquaman uh, jumped from the lead feature in Adventure Comics for the umpteenth time to the backup feature in Action Comics, uh, mm-hmm. where he was filling up for uh, Superman, of course. So, uh, And with a, a, the continued story by J.M. Demetrius, who got his start writing short-page stories. Mm. Um, in fact, uh, just this week, uh, the legendary comic book artist Dick Ayers passed away. He was, I think mm-hmm. he was in his 90s. Um, and, uh, JM did a nice tweet where he sent out saying that Dick Ayers drew JM's first ever published story. Really? And he ran the page for that. And yeah, and it's like, that's how JM Demetrius, you know, got his, got his, uh, got his start was, uh, was drawing this little backup feature. So, uh, while, it, while Aquaman was the lead feature in adventure, it was only like 10 page story. So it was essentially like a backup story, but it was just. You know, he was he was the lead, but it was a backup length, and then mm-hmm. they moved it over to Action Comics, and it was drawn by Don Heck, who is drawing the Flash segments in this book. So it all comes, oh, okay. it all comes around. Very cool. By the way, if you're looking for these um, Flash backups, you can either pick up the old Flash issues, or they are collected in the Firestorm: The Nuclear Man trade paperback, which includes also the first five issues of the series, plus the unpublished sixth issue, and then some of these backups. So. Um, 
And just to brag, I'm flipping through my trade, and it happens to have a nice inscription by Jerry Conway to me. Yay! Oh, so it's one of my little, pri- it's one of my pride and joys. I asked him to sign it. That's just me bragging because I'm a, I'm a dick. So yep. anyway, um, so next week, folks, come back. We're going to talk about. Well, we'll just tell you. We're going to talk about futures end. And uh, just kind of touch on some of the stuff going on there. And we'll do some Aquaman backups. So, again, something new, something old, and I'll have to find something blue and something borrowed or whatever the hell that thing is. And we're doing listener feedback. Oh, yeah, and listener feedback, your comments. So please write into the show. You can hit us up on our email address. What's that, Rob? Firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Yep. Uh, or you can visit our blogs, which is firestormfan.com or aquamanshrine.net. You can leave comments there as well. And then uh, following us on the other social medias, you can find Rob on Facebook and Twitter under Aquaman Shrine. Now, I have also been posting on Google+. Plus. Nobody notices, but I've been doing it. Have you really? Yes. See, see exactly. I, I didn't notice. <laughs> I'm not even sure I follow you on that. I'll have to see. Anyway. Um, I mean, what do you want from me? I'm posting. I, I'm shocked that you are. I, I, I can't go onto the web and look right now because it will mess up the recording. So I, I don't believe you yet until I see it with my own eyes. <laughs> So, anyway, um, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram, all under Firestorm Fan. And then from this episode, we'll go ahead and post a few images on the Tumblr. Rob, what's that Tumblr address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. There we go. Um, without anything else, I think that's it. So, uh, folks, uh, until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman Super friends forever. Yeah! Follow your noses and you'll hit the mark. But even when you find them, you'll wind up in the dark. I give up, Batman. The Riddler's clue seems unsolvable. We've got to solve it, Robin. Wait a minute, Batman. Look, see that area of no stars? Of course, Superman. The Riddler said we'd end up in the dark. And that's just what it is in the center of a black hole. No one knows what's at the core of a black hole. It could be incredibly dangerous. Dangerous or not, somebody's got to go after them.